0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English Fairy Tales. Collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 33. The Laidley Worm of Spindleston Hugh. In Bamburgh Castle once lived a king who had a fair wife and two children. A son named Child Wind, and a daughter named Margaret. Child Wind went forth to seek his fortune, and soon after he had gone, the queen, his mother, died. The king mourned her long and faithfully, but one day while he was hunting, he came across a lady of great beauty, and became so much in love with her that he determined to marry her. So he sent word home that he was going to bring a new queen to Bamborough Castle. Princess Margaret was not very glad to hear of her mother's place being taken, but she did not repine, but did her father's bidding, and at the appointed day came down to the castle gate with the keys all ready to hand over to her stepmother. Soon the procession drew near, and the new queen came towards Princess Margaret, who bowed low and handed her the keys of the castle. She stood there with blushing cheeks and eye on ground, and said, Oh, welcome, father dear, to your halls and bowers, and welcome to you my new mother, for all that's here is yours. And again she offered the keys. One of the king's knights who had escorted the queen cried out in admiration, Surely this northern princess is the loveliest of her kind. At that the new queen flushed up and cried out, At least your courtesy might have accepted me. And then she muttered below her breath, I'll soon put an end to her beauty. That same night the queen, who was a noted witch, stole down to a lonely dungeon wherein she did her magic with spells three times three and with passes nine times nine she cast Princess Margaret under her spell. And this was her spell. I weird ye to be a laidly worm and borrowed shall ye never be until child wind the king's own son come to the hue and thrice kiss thee until the world comes to an end Borrowed shall ye never be. So Lady Margaret went to bed a beauteous maiden, And rose up a ladly worm. And when her maidens came in to dress her in the morning, They found coiled up on the bed a dreadful dragon, Which uncoiled itself and came towards them. But they ran away shrieking, And the ladly worm crawled and crept, And crept and quarrelled, Till it reached the hue or rock of the spindle stone, Round which it coiled itself, "'and lay there basking with its terrible snout in the air. "'Soon the country roundabout had reason to know "'of the Laidley Worm of Spindleston, Hugh. "'For hunger drove the monster out from its cave, "'and it used to devour everything it could come across. "'So at last they went to a mighty warlock "'and asked him what they should do. "'Then he consulted his works and his familiar and told them, "'The lady Worm is really the Princess Margaret.' "'and it is hunger that drives her forth to do such deeds. "'Put aside for her seven kine, "'and each day as the sun goes down, "'carry every drop of milk they yield "'to the stone trough at the foot of the hew, "'and the ladly worm will trouble the country no longer. "'But if ye would that she be borrowed to her natural shape, "'and that she who bespelled her be rightly punished, "'send over the seas for her brother, Child Wind.' "'All was done as the warlock advised,' The ladly worm lived on the milk of the seven kine, and the country was troubled no longer. But when Child Wind heard the news, he swore a mighty oath to rescue his sister and revenge her on her cruel stepmother. And three and thirty of his men took the oath with him. Then they set to work and built a long ship, and its keel they made of the rowan tree. And when all was ready, they out with their oars and pulled sheer for Bamborough Keep. But as they got near the keep, the stepmother felt by her magic power that something was being wrought against her, so she summoned her familiar imps and said, Child wind is coming over the seas. He must never land. Raise storms or bore the hull, but no how must he touch shore. Then the imps went forth to meet Child wind's ship, but when they got near, they found they had no power over the ship, for its keel was made of the rowan tree. So back they came to the queen witch, who knew not what to do. She ordered her men-at-arms to resist Child Wind, if he should land near them, and by her spells she caused the ladly worm to wait by the entrance of the harbour. As the ship came near, the worm unfolded its coils, and, dipping into the sea, caught hold of the ship of Child Wind, and banged it off the shore. Three times Child Wind urged his men on to row bravely and strong, "'but each time the Laidley Worm kept it off the shore. "'Then Child Wind ordered the ship to be put about, "'and the Witch Queen thought he had given up the attempt. "'But instead of that, he only rounded the next point "'and landed safe and sound in Beudel Creek, "'and then, with sword drawn and bow bent, "'rushed up followed by his men "'to fight the terrible worm that had kept him from landing. "'But the moment Child Wind had landed, "'the Witch Queen's power over the laidly Worm had gone.' and she went back to her bower all alone, not an imp, nor a man-at-arms to help her, for she knew her hour was come. So when child-wind came rushing up to the ladly worm, it made no attempt to stop him or hurt him. But just as he was going to raise his sword to slay it, the voice of his own sister Margaret came from its jaws, saying, O oh, quit your sword, unbend your bow, and give me kisses three, for though I am a poisonous worm, No harm I'll do to thee. Child Wind stayed his hand, But he did not know what to think If some witchery were not in it. Then said the Laidly Worm again, Oh, quit your sword, unbend your bow, And give me kisses three. If I'm not one, he set of sun, One never shall I be. Then Child Wind went up to the Laidly Worm And kissed it once, But no change came over it. Then Child Wind kissed it once more, but yet no change came over it. For a third time he kissed the loathsome thing, and with a hiss and a roar the ladly worm reared back and before child wind stood his sister Margaret. He wrapped his cloak about her, and then went up to the castle with her. When he reached the keep, he went off to the witch queen's bower, and when he saw her, he touched her with a twig of a rowan tree. No sooner had he touched her than she shriveled up and shriveled up, till she became a huge, ugly toad, with bold, staring eyes and a horrible hiss. She croaked and she hissed, and then hopped away down the castle steps, and Child Wind took his father's place as king, and they all lived happy afterwards. But to this day the loathsome toad is seen at times, haunting the neighbourhood of Bamburgh Keep, and the wicked witch-queen is a laidly toad. End of chapter 33 the lady Worm of Spindleston Hugh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English Fairy Tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 34. The Cat and the Mouse. The cat and the mouse played in the malt house. The cat bit the mouse's tail off. Pray, puss, give me my tail. No, says the cat, I'll not give you your tail till you go to the cow and fetch me some milk. First she leapt and then she ran till she came to the cow and thus began, Pray, cow, give me milk, that I may give cat milk, that cat may give me my own tail again. No, said the cow, I will give you no milk till you go to the farmer and get me some hay. First she leapt and then she ran, till she came to the farmer and thus began, Pray, farmer, give me hay, that I may give cow hay, that cow may give me milk, that I may give cat milk, that cat may give me my own tail again. No, says the farmer, I'll give you no hay, till you go to the butcher and fetch me some meat. First she leapt and then she ran, till she came to the butcher, and thus began. Pray, butcher, give me meat, that I may give farmer meat, that farmer may give me hay, that I may give cow hay, that cow may give me milk, that I may give cat milk, that cat may give me my own tail again. No, says the butcher, I'll give you no meat, till you go to the baker and fetch me some bread. First she leapt, and then she ran, till she came to the baker, and thus began. Pray, baker, give me bread, that I may give butcher bread, that butcher may give me meat, that I may give farmer meat, that farmer may give me hay, that I may give cow hay, that cow may give me milk, that I may give cat milk, that cat may give me my own tail again. Yes, says the baker, I'll give you some bread, but if you eat my meal, I'll cut off your head. Then the baker gave mouse bread, and mouse gave butcher bread, And butcher gave mouse meat, and mouse gave farmer meat, and farmer gave mouse hay, and mouse gave cow hay, and cow gave mouse milk, and mouse gave cat milk, and cat gave mouse her own tail again. End of chapter 34. The Cat and the Mouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English fairy tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 35. The Fish and the Ring. Once upon a time there was a mighty baron in the north country who was a great magician that knew everything that would come to pass. So one day when his little boy was four years old, he looked into the book of fate to see what would happen to him, and to his dismay he found that his son would wed a lowly maid that had just been born in a house under the shadow of York Minster. Now the baron knew the father of the little girl was very, very poor, and he had five children already. So he called for his horse and rode into York, and passed by the father's house, and saw him sitting by the door, sad and doleful. So he dismounted and went up to him and said, What is the matter, my good man? And the man said, Well, Your Honor, the fact is, I've five children already, and now a sixth's come, a little lass, and where to get the bread from to fill their mouths, that's more than I can say. Don't be downhearted, my man, said the baron. If that's your trouble, I can help you. "'I'll take away the last little one, and you won't have to bother about her.' "'Thank you kindly, sir,' said the man. "'And he went in and brought out the lass and gave her to the baron, "'who mounted his horse and rode away with her. "'And when he got by the bank of the river Ouse, "'he threw the little thing into the river and rode off to his castle. "'But the little lass didn't sink. "'Her clothes kept her up for a time, and she floated and she floated, Till she was cast ashore just in front of a fisherman's hut there the fisherman found her and took pity on the poor little thing and took her into his house and she lived there till she was fifteen years old and a fine handsome girl one day it happened that the baron went out hunting with some companions along the banks of the river Aus, and stopped at the fisherman's hut to get a drink and the girl came out to give it to them they all noticed her beauty and one of them said to the baron, "'You can read Fates, baron. "'Whom will she marry, do you think?' "'Oh, that's easy to guess,' said the baron, "'some yokel or other. "'But I'll cast her horoscope. "'Come here, girl, and tell me on what day you were born.' "'I don't know, sir,' said the girl. "'I was picked up just here "'after having been brought down by the river "'about fifteen years ago.' Then the baron knew who she was, And when they went away, he rode back and said to the girl, Hark ye, girl, I will make your fortune. Take this letter to my brother in Scarborough, and you will be settled for life. And the girl took the letter and said she would go. Now this was what he had written in the letter. Dear brother, take the bearer and put her to death immediately. Yours affectionately, Albert. So soon after the girl set out for Scarborough, "'and slept for the night at a little inn. "'Now that very night a band of robbers broke into the inn "'and searched the girl, who had no money and only the letter. "'So they opened this and read it, and thought it a shame. "'The captain of the robbers took a pen and paper and wrote this letter. "'Dear brother, take the bearer and marry her to my son immediately, "'yours affectionately, Albert.' "'And then he gave it to the girl, bidding her be gone. "'So she went on to the baron's brother at Scarborough a noble knight with whom the baron's son was staying. When she gave the letter to his brother, he gave orders for the wedding to be prepared at once, and they were married that very day. Soon after, the baron himself came to his brother's castle, and what was his surprise to find that the very thing he had plotted against had come to pass. But he was not to be put off that way, and he took out the girl for a walk, as he said, along the cliffs. And when he got her all alone, he took her by the arms and was going to throw her over. But she begged hard for her life. I have not done anything, she said. If you will only spare me, I will do whatever you wish. I will never see you or your son again till you desire it. Then the Baron took off his gold ring and threw it into the sea, saying, Never let me see your face till you can show me that ring. And he let her go. The poor girl wandered on and on, till at last she came to a great noble's castle, and she asked to have some work given to her, and they made her the scullion girl of the castle, for she had been used to such work in the fisherman's hut. Now one day, who should she see coming up to the noble's house but the baron and his brother and his son, her husband? She didn't know what to do, but thought they would not see her in the castle kitchen, "'So she went back to her work with a sigh "'and set to cleaning a huge, big fish "'that was to be boiled for their dinner. "'And as she was cleaning it, "'she saw something shine inside it. "'And what do you think she found? "'Why, there was the Baron's ring, "'the very one he had thrown over the cliff at Scarborough. "'She was right glad to see it, he may be sure. "'Then she cooked the fish as nicely as she could "'and served it up. "'Well,' WHEN THE FISH CAME ON THE TABLE, THE GUESTS LIKED IT SO WELL THAT THEY ASKED THE NOBLE WHO COOKED IT. HE SAID HE DIDN'T KNOW, BUT CALLED TO HIS SERVANTS, HO oh, THERE, SEND UP THE COOK THAT COOKED THAT FINE FISH. SO THEY WENT DOWN TO THE KITCHEN AND TOLD THE GIRL SHE WAS WANTED IN THE HALL. THEN SHE WASHED AND TIDIED HERSELF AND PUT THE BARON'S GOLD RING ON HER THUMB AND WENT UP INTO THE HALL. WHEN THE banqueters SAW SUCH A YOUNG AND BEAUTIFUL COOK, THEY WERE SURPRISED. But the baron was in a tower of a temper, and started up as if he would do her some violence. So the girl went up to him with her hand before her with the ring on it, and she put it down before him on the table. Then at last the baron saw that no one could fight against fate, and he handed her to a seat, and announced to all the company that this was his son's true wife. And he took her and his son home to his castle. And they all lived as happy as could be ever afterwards. End of chapter 35 The Fish and the Ring. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English Fairy Tales, Collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 36 The Magpie's Nest. Once upon a time, when pigs spoke rhyme, and monkeys chewed tobacco, and hens took snuff to make them tough, and ducks went quack, quack, quacko, all the birds of the air came to the magpie and asked her to teach them how to build nests. "'for the magpie is the cleverest bird of all at building nests.' "'So she put all the birds round her "'and began to show them how to do it. First of all she took some mud "'and made a sort of round cake with it. "'Oh, that's how it's done,' said the thrush. "'And away it flew. "'And so that's how thrushes build their nests. "'Then the magpie took some twigs "'and arranged them round in the mud. "'Now I know all about it,' says the blackbird. "'And off he flew.' "'and that's how the blackbirds make their nests to this very day.' "'Then the magpie put another layer of mud over the twigs. "'Oh, that's quite obvious,' said the wise owl. "'And away it flew, and owls have never made better nests since.' "'After this the magpie took some twigs and twined them round the outside. "'The very thing!' said the sparrow. "'And off he went. "'So sparrows make rather slovenly nests to this day.' Well, then Madge Magpie took some feathers and stuff and lined the nest very comfortably with it. That suits me, cried the starling, and off it flew. And very comfortable nests have starlings. So it went on, every bird taking away some knowledge of how to build nests, but none of them waiting to the end. Meanwhile, Madge Magpie went on working and working, without looking up till the only bird that remained was the turtle dove and that hadn't paid any attention all along, but only kept on saying its silly cry, Take two, Taffy, take two! At last the magpie heard this just as she was putting a twig across, so she said, One's enough. But the turtle dove kept on saying, Take two, Taffy, take two! Then the magpie got angry and said, One's enough, I tell you! Still the turtle dove cried, Take two, Taffy! Take two! At last and at last, the magpie looked up and saw nobody near her but the silly turtle dove. And then she got rare angry and flew away and refused to tell the birds how to build nests again. And that is why different birds build their nests differently. End of chapter 36 The Magpie's Nest This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English fairy tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 37. Kate Crackernuts. Once upon a time there was a king and a queen, as in many lands have been, The king had a daughter, Anne, and the queen had one named Kate. But Anne was far bonnier than the queen's daughter, though they loved one another like real sisters. The queen was jealous of the king's daughter being bonnier than her own, and cast about to spoil her beauty. So she took counsel of the henwife, who told her to send the lassie to her next morning fasting. So next morning early the queen said to Anne, "'Go, my dear, to the henwife in the glen,' "'and ask her for some eggs.' "'So Anne set out, "'but as she passed through the kitchen she saw a crust, "'and she took and munched it as she went along. "'When she came to the hen-wife's, "'she asked for eggs, as she had been told to do. "'The hen-wife said to her, "'Lift the lid off that pot there and see.' "'The lassie did so, but nothing happened. "'Go home to your minnie and tell her "'to keep her larder door better locked,' said the hen-wife.' "'So she went home to the queen and told her what the henwife had said. "'The queen knew from this that the lassie had had something to eat, "'so watched the next morning and sent her away fasting. "'But the princess saw some country folk picking peas by the roadside, "'and being very kind, she spoke to them and took a handful of the peas "'which she ate by the way. "'When she came to the henwife, she said, "'Lift the lid off that pot and you'll see.' "'So Anne lifted the lid, but nothing happened.' "'Then the henwife was rare angry and said to Anne, "'Tell your Minnie the pot won't boil if the fire's away!' "'So Anne went home and told the Queen. "'The third day the Queen goes along with the girl herself to the henwife. "'Now this time, when Anne lifted the lid off the pot, "'off falls her own pretty head and on jumps a sheep's head. "'So the Queen was now quite satisfied and went home. "'Her own daughter, Kate, however,' took a fine linen cloth and wrapped it round her sister's head, and took her by the hand, and they both went out to seek their fortune. They went on and they went on and they went on, till they came to a castle. Kate knocked at the door and asked for a night's lodging for herself and a sick sister. They went in and found it was a king's castle who had two sons, and one of them was sickening away to death, and no one could find out what ailed him. "'and the curious thing was that whoever watched him at night "'was never seen any more. "'So the king had offered a peck of silver "'to anyone who would stop up with him. "'Now Katie was a very brave girl, "'so she offered to sit up with him. "'Till midnight all goes well. "'As twelve o'clock rings, however, "'the sick prince rises, dresses himself, "'and slips downstairs. "'Kate followed, but he didn't seem to notice her. "'The prince went to the stable,' saddled his horse, called his hound, jumped into the saddle, and Kate leapt lightly up behind him. Away rode the prince and Kate through the greenwood, Kate, as they passed, plucking nuts from the trees and filling her apron with them. They rode on and on till they came to a green hill. The prince here drew bridle and spoke, Open, open, green hill, and let the young prince in with his horse and his hound. And Kate added, "'and his lady him behind.' "'Immediately the green hill opened and they passed in. "'The prince entered a magnificent hall, brightly lighted up, "'and many beautiful fairies surrounded the prince "'and led him off to the dance. "'Meanwhile Kate, without being noticed, hid herself behind the door. "'There she sees the prince dancing and dancing and dancing, till he could dance no longer and fell upon a couch.' Then the fairies would fan him till he could rise again and go on dancing. At last the crop crew and the prince made all haste to get on horseback. Kate jumped up behind and home they rode. When the morning sun rose they came in and found Kate sitting down by the fire and cracking her nuts. Kate said the prince had a good night, but she would not sit up another night unless she was to get a peck of gold. The second night passed as the first had done. The prince got up at midnight and rode away to the green hill and the fairy ball, and Kate went with him, gathering nuts as they rode through the forest. This time she did not watch the prince for she knew he would dance and dance and dance. But she sees a fairy baby playing with a wand and overhears one of the fairies say, Three strokes of that wand would make Kate's SIX sister as bonny as ever she was. So Kate rolled nuts to the fairy baby "'and rolled nuts till the baby toddled after the nuts "'and let fall the wand, "'and Kate took it up and put it in her apron, "'and at Cock Crow they rode home as before, "'and the moment Kate got home to her room, "'she rushed and touched Anne three times with the wand, "'and the nasty sheep's head fell off, "'and she was her own pretty self again. "'The third night Kate consented to watch "'only if she should marry the sick prince.' All went on as on the first two nights. This time the fairy baby was playing with a birdie. Kate heard one of the fairies say, Three bites of that birdie would make the sick prince as well as ever he was. Kate rolled all the nuts she had to the fairy baby till the birdie was dropped and Kate put it in her apron. At Crow they set off again, but instead of cracking her nuts as she used to do, this time Kate plucked the feathers off and cooked the birdie. Soon there rose a very savoury smell. "'Oh,' said the sick prince, "'I wish I had a bite of that birdie.' So Kate gave him a bite of the birdie, and he rose up on his elbow. By and by he cried out again, "'Oh, if I had another bite of that birdie!' So Kate gave him another bite, and he sat up on his bed. Then he said again, "'Oh, if only I had a third bite of that birdie!' So Kate gave him a third bite, and he rose quite well, dressed himself, and sat down by the fire. And when the folk came in next morning, they found Kate and the young prince cracking nuts together. Meanwhile, his brother had seen Annie and had fallen in love with her, as everybody did who saw her sweet, pretty face. So the sick son married the well sister, and the well son married the sick sister, and they all lived happy and died happy. And never drank out of a dry cappy. End of chapter thirty-seven, Kate Crackernuts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. ENGLISH FAIRY TALES COLLECTED BY JOSEPH JACOBS CHAPTER 38 THE COLD LAD OF HILTON At Hilton Hall, long years ago, there lived a brownie that was the contrariest brownie you ever knew. At night, after the servants had gone to bed, it would turn everything topsy-turvy, put sugar in the salt cellars, pepper into the beer, and it was up to all kinds of pranks. It would throw the chairs down, put tables on their backs, rake out fires, and do as much mischief as could be. But sometimes it would be in a good temper, and then... What's a brownie, you say? Oh, it's a kind of a sort of a bogle, but it isn't so cruel as a redcap. What? You don't know what's a bogle or a redcap? Ah me! What's the world a-coming to? Of course a brownie is a funny little thing, half man, half goblin, with pointed ears and hairy hide. When you bury a treasure, you scatter over it blood drops of a newly slain kid or lamb. Or better still, bury the animal with the treasure, and a brownie will watch over it for you and frighten everybody else away. Where was I? Well, as I was a saying, the brownie at Hilton Hall would play at mischief. But if the servants laid out for it a bowl of cream, or a knuckle-cake spread with honey, it would clear away things for them, and make everything tidy in the kitchen. One night, however, when the servants had stopped up late, they heard a noise in the kitchen, and, peeping in, saw the brownie swinging to and fro on the jack-chain, and saying, "'Woe's me! Woe's me! The acorn's not yet fallen from the tree!' That's to grow the wood, that's to make the cradle, that's to rock the barn, that's to grow to the man, that's to lay me. Woe's me, woe's me. So they took pity on the poor brownie, and asked the nearest henwife what they should do to send it away. That's easy enough, said the henwife, and told them that a brownie that's paid for its service, in aught that's not perishable, goes away at once. So they made a cloak of Lincoln Green with a hood to it, and put it by the hearth and watched. They saw the brownie come up, and seeing the hood and cloak, put them on and frisk about, dancing on one leg and saying, I've taken your cloak, I've taken your hood. The cold lad of Hilton will do no more good. And with that it vanished, and was never seen or heard of afterwards. End of chapter 38 The Cold Lad of Hilton This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English fairy tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. CHAPTER Thirty Nine: THE ASS, THE TABLE, AND THE STICK A lad named Jack was once so unhappy at home through his father's ill-treatment, "'that he made up his mind to run away and seek his fortune in the wide world. "'He ran and he ran till he could run no longer, "'and then he ran right up against a little old woman who was gathering sticks. "'He was too much out of breath to beg pardon. "'But the woman was good-natured, and she said he seemed to be a likely lad, "'so she would take him to be her servant and would pay him well. "'He agreed, for he was very hungry.' "'and she brought him to her house in the wood "'where he served her for a twelve months and a day. "'When the year had passed, she called him to her "'and said she had good wages for him. "'So she presented him with an ass out of the stable, "'and he had but to pull Nettie's ears "'to make him begin at once to eeyore. "'And when he brayed, they dropped from his mouth "'silver sixpences and half-crowns and golden guineas. "'The lad was well pleased with the wage he had received.' and away he rode till he reached an inn. There he ordered the best of everything, and when the innkeeper refused to serve him without being paid beforehand, the boy went off to the stable, pulled the ass's ears, and obtained his pocket full of money. The host had watched all this through a crack in the door, and when night came on he put an ass of his own for the precious neddy of the poor youth. So Jack, without knowing that any change had been made, rode away next morning to his father's house. Now I must tell you that near his home dwelt a poor widow with an only daughter. The lad and the maiden were fast friends and true loves, but when Jack asked his father's leave to marry the girl, never till you have the money to keep her, was the reply. I have that, father, said the lad, and going to the ass he pulled its long ears. Well, he pulled and he pulled till one of them came off in his hands. But Neddy, though he he hawed and he hee let fall no half crowns or guineas. The father picked up a hay fork and beat his son out of the house. I promise you he ran. Ah, he ran and ran till he came bang against the door and burst it open, and there he was in a joiner's shop. You are likely, lad, said the joiner. Serve me for twelve months and a day, and I will pay you well. So he agreed and served the carpenter for a year and a day. Now, said the master, I will give you your wage, and he presented him with a table, telling him he had but to say, Table be covered, and at once it would be spread with lots to eat and drink. Jack hitched the table on his back, and away he went with it till he came to the inn. Well, host, shouted he, my dinner to day, and that of the best. Very sorry, but there is nothing in the house but ham and eggs. Ham and eggs for me, exclaimed Jack. I CAN DO BETTER THAN THAT. COME, MY TABLE, BE COVERED. AT ONCE THE TABLE WAS SPREAD WITH TURKEY AND SAUSAGES, ROAST MUTTON, POTATOES AND GREENS. THE PUBLICAN OPENED HIS EYES, BUT HE SAID NOTHING, NOT HE. THAT NIGHT HE FETCHED DOWN FROM HIS ATTIC A TABLE VERY LIKE THAT OF JACK AND EXCHANGED THE TWO. JACK, NONE THE WISER, NEXT MORNING HITCHED THE WORTHLESS TABLE ONTO HIS BACK AND CARRIED IT HOME. "'Now, father, may I marry my lass?' he asked. "'Not unless you can keep her,' replied the father. "'Look here!' exclaimed Jack. "'Father, I have a table which does all my bidding.' "'Let me see it,' said the old man. "'The lad set it in the middle of the room and bade it be covered. "'But all in vain, the table remained bare.' In a rage, the father caught the warming pan down from the wall and warmed his son back with it so that the boy fled howling from the house and ran and ran till he came to a river and tumbled in. A man picked him out and bade him assist him in making a bridge over the river. And how do you think he was doing it? Why, by casting a tree across? So Jack climbed up to the top of the tree and threw his weight on it so that when the man had rooted the tree up, Jack and the tree head dropped on the farther bank. Thank you, said the man, and now for what you have done, I will pay you. So saying he tore a branch from the tree and fettled it up into a club with his knife. There, exclaimed he, take this stick, and when you say to it, Up stick and bang him, it will knock any one down who angers you. The lad was overjoyed to get this stick, so away he went with it to the inn and as soon as the publican appeared, "'Up, stick, and bang him!' was his cry. At the word, the cudgel flew from his hand and battered the old publican on the back, wrapped his head, bruised his arms, tickled his ribs, till he fell groaning on the floor. Still the stick belaboured the prostrate man, nor would Jack call it off till he had got back the stolen ass and table. Then he galloped home on the ass with the table on his shoulders and the stick in his hand. When he arrived there he found his father was dead, so he brought his ass into the stable and pulled its ears till he had filled the manger with money. It was soon known through the town that Jack had returned rolling in wealth, and accordingly all the girls in the place set their caps at him. "'Now,' said Jack, "'I shall marry the richest lass in the place, so tomorrow, do you all come in front of my house with your money and your aprons.' Next morning the street was full of girls with aprons held out, and gold and silver in them. But Jack's own sweetheart was among them, and she had neither gold nor silver, not but two copper pennies, that was all she had. "'Stand aside, lass,' said Jack to her, speaking roughly. "'Thou hast no silver nor gold. Stand off from the rest!' She obeyed, and the tears ran down her cheeks, and filled her apron with diamonds." "'Not stick and bang them!' exclaimed Jack, whereupon the cudgel leapt up, and running along the line of girls, knocked them all on the heads and left them senseless on the pavement. Jack took all their money and poured it into his true love's lap. "'Now, lass!' he exclaimed. "'Thou art the richest, and I shall marry thee.'" End of chapter 39 The Ass, the Table, and the Stick This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English fairy tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 40. Fairy Ointment. Dame Goody was a nurse that looked after sick people and minded babies. One night she was woke up at midnight And when she went downstairs, she saw a strange, squinny-eyed, little, ugly old fellow, who asked her to come to his wife, who was too ill to mind her baby. Dame Goody didn't like the look of the old fellow, but business is business. So she popped on her things and went down to him. And when she got down to him, he whisked her up onto a large, coal-black horse with fiery eyes that stood at the door. And soon they were going at a rare pace. Dame Goody holding on to the old fellow like grim death. They rode and they rode, till at last they stopped before a cottage door. So they got down and went in, and found the good woman abed with the children playing about, and the babe, a fine bouncing boy, beside her. Dame Goody took the babe, which was as fine a baby boy as you'd wish to see. The mother, when she handed the baby to Dame Goody to mind, gave her a box of ointment and told her to stroke the baby's eyes with it as soon as it opened them. After a while it began to open its eyes. Dame Goody saw that it had squinny eyes just like its father, so she took the box of ointment and stroked its two eyelids with it. But she couldn't help wondering what it was for, as she had never seen such a thing done before. So she looked to see if the others were looking, and when they were not noticing, "'She stroked her own right eyelid with the ointment. "'No sooner had she done so than everything seemed to change about her. "'The cottage became elegantly furnished. "'The mother in the bed was a beautiful lady dressed up in white silk. "'The little baby was still more beautiful than before, "'and its clothes were made of a sort of silvery gauze. "'Its little brothers and sisters around the bed "'were flat-nosed imps with pointed ears who made faces at one another,' "'and scratched their poles. "'Sometimes they would pull the sick lady's ears "'with their long and hairy paws. "'In fact, they were up to all kinds of mischief, "'and Dame Goody knew that she had got into a house of pixies. "'But she said nothing to nobody, "'and as soon as the lady was well enough to mind the baby, "'she asked the old fellow to take her back home. "'So he came round to the door with the coal-black horse "'with eyes of fire, and off they went as fast as before.' Or perhaps a little faster, till they came to Dame Goody's cottage, where the squinny eyed old fellow lifted her down and left her, thanking her civilly enough, and paying her more than she had ever been paid before for such service. Now next day happened to be market day, and as Dame Goody had been away from home, she wanted many things in the house, and trudged off to get them at the market. As she was buying the things she wanted, "'who should she see but the squinny-eyed old fellow "'who had taken her on the coal-black horse? "'And what do you think he was doing? "'Why, he went about from stall to stall, "'taking up things from each. "'Here's some fruit, and there's some eggs, and so on. "'And no one seemed to take any notice.' "'Now Dame Goody did not think it her business to interfere, "'but she thought she ought not to let so good a customer pass "'without speaking. "'So she ups to him and bobs a curtsey and says, Good un, sir. I hopes as how your good lady and little one up, as well as-but she couldn't finish what she was a saying, for the funny old fellow started back in surprise, and he says to her, says he, What, do you see me to-day? See you, says she. Why, of course I do, as plain as the sun in the skies. And what's more, says she, I see you are busy too into the bargain. Ah, you see too much, said he. Now, pray, with which eye do you see all this? With the right eye, to be sure, said she, as proud as can be to find him out. The ointment, the ointment, cried the old pixie thief. Take that for meddling with what don't concern you. You shall see me no more. And with that he struck her on her right eye, and she couldn't see him any more. And what was worse, she was blind on the right side from that hour till the day of her death. End of chapter 40 Fairy Ointment. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English Fairy Tales Collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 41 The Well of the World's End. Once upon a time, and a very good time it was, though it wasn't in my time, nor in your time, nor any one else's time. There was a girl whose mother had died, and her father had married again. And her stepmother hated her because she was more beautiful than herself, and she was very cruel to her. She used to make her do all the servant's work, and never let her have any peace. At last, one day, the stepmother thought to get rid of her altogether. So she handed her a sieve and said to her, Go, fill it at the well of the world's end, and bring it home to me full, or woe betide you. For she thought she would never be able to find the well of the world's end, and if she did, how could she bring home a sieve full of water? Well, the girl started off, and asked every one she met to tell her where was the well of the world's end. But nobody knew, and she didn't know what to do. "'when a queer little old woman, all bent double, "'told her where it was and how she could get to it. "'So she did what the old woman told her "'and at last arrived at the well of the world's end. "'But when she dipped the sieve in the cold, cold water, "'it all ran out again. "'She tried and she tried again, "'but every time it was the same, "'and at last she sat down and cried "'as if her heart would break. "'Suddenly she heard a croaking voice, and she looked up and saw a great frog with goggle eyes looking at her and speaking to her. "'What's the matter, dearie?' it said. "'Oh, dear, oh, dear,' she said. "'My stepmother has sent me all this long way to fill this sieve with water from the well of the world's end, and I can't fill it no-how at all.' "'Well,' said the frog, "'if you promise me to do whatever I bid you for a whole night long, I'll tell you how to fill it.' So the girl agreed, and then the frog said, Stop it with moss and daub it with clay, and then it will carry the water away. And then it gave a hop, skip and jump, and went flop into the well of the world's end. So the girl looked about for some moss, and lined the bottom of the sieve with it, and over that she put some clay, and then she dipped it once again into the well of the world's end, and this time the water didn't run out, and she turned to go away. Just then, the frog popped up its head out of the well of the world's end and said, Remember your promise. All right, said the girl, for thought she, What harm can a frog do me? So she went back to her stepmother and brought the sieve full of water from the well of the world's end. The stepmother was fine and angry, but she said nothing at all. That very evening they heard something tap-tapping at the door low down, and a voice cried out, OPEN THE DOOR, MY HINNY, MY HEART, OPEN THE DOOR, MY OWN DARLING, MIND YOU THE WORDS THAT YOU AND I SPOKE, DOWN IN THE MEADOW AT THE WORLD'S END WELL. WHATEVER CAN THAT BE? CRIED OUT THE STEPMOTHER. AND THE GIRL HAD TO TELL HER ALL ABOUT IT, AND WHAT SHE HAD PROMISED THE FROG. GIRLS MUST KEEP THEIR PROMISES, SAID THE STEPMOTHER. GO AND OPEN THE DOOR THIS INSTANT, FOR SHE WAS GLAD THE GIRL WOULD HAVE TO OBEY A NASTY FROG. So the girl went and opened the door, and there was the frog from the well of the world's end, and it hopped and it skipped and it jumped, till it reached the girl, and then it said, Lift me to your knee, my hinny, my heart, lift me to your knee, my own darling, remember the words you and I spoke, down in the meadow by the world's end well. But the girl didn't like to, till her stepmother said, Lift it up this instant, you hussy, girls must keep their promises.' "'So at last she lifted the frog up onto her lap, "'and it lay there for a time till at last it said, "'Give me some supper, my hinny, my heart, "'give me some supper, my darling. "'Remember the words you and I spake "'in the meadow by the well of the world's end.' "'Well, she didn't mind doing that, "'so she got it a bowl of milk and bread and fed it well. "'And when the frog had finished, it said, "'Go with me to bed, my hinny, my heart, Go with me to bed, my own darling. Mind you the words you spake to me, down by the cold well so weary. But that the girl wouldn't do, till her stepmother said, Do what you promised, girl. Girls must keep their promises. Do what you bid, or out you go, you and your froggy. So the girl took the frog with her to bed, and kept it as far away from her as she could. Well, just as the day was beginning to break, what should the frog say but— CHOP OFF MY HEAD, MY HINNY, MY HEART, CHOP OFF MY HEAD, MY OWN DARLING, REMEMBER THE PROMISE YOU MADE TO ME, DOWN BY THE COLD WELL SO WEARY. AT FIRST THE GIRL WOULDN'T, FOR SHE THOUGHT OF WHAT THE FROG HAD DONE FOR HER AT THE WELL OF THE WORLD'S END. BUT WHEN THE FROG SAID THE WORDS OVER AGAIN, SHE WENT AND TOOK AN AXE AND CHOPPED OFF ITS HEAD, AND LO AND BEHOLD, THERE STOOD BEFORE HER A HANDSOME YOUNG PRINCE. He told her that he had been enchanted by a wicked magician, and he could never be unspelled till some girl would do his bidding for a whole night and chop off his head at the end of it. The stepmother was that surprised when she found the young prince instead of the nasty frog, and she wasn't best pleased, you may be sure, when the prince told her that he was going to marry her stepdaughter because she had unspelled him. So they were married and went away to live in the castle of the king, his father and all the stepmother had to console her was that it was all through her that her stepdaughter was married to a prince. End of chapter 41 The Well of the World's End This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, Please visit librivox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English Fairy Tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 42. Master of All Masters. A girl once went to the fair to hire herself for servant. At last a funny-looking old gentleman engaged her and took her home to his house. When she got there, he told her that he had something to teach her for that in his house he had his own names for things. He said to her, "'What will you call me?' "'Master or mister, or whatever you please, sir,' says she. He said, "'You must call me master of all masters.' "'And what would you call this?' "'Pointing to his bed.' "'Bed or couch, or whatever you please, sir.' "'No, that's my barnacle.' "'And what do you call these?' said he, pointing to his pantaloons." Breeches or trousers or whatever you please, sir. You must call them squibs and crackers. And what would you call her, pointing to the cat? Cat or kit or whatever you please, sir. You must call her white-faced simony. And this now, showing the fire. What would you call this? Fire or flame or whatever you please, sir. You must call it hot cockalorum. "'And what's this?' he went on, pointing to the water. "'Water or wet or whatever you please, sir.' "'No, Pondolorum is its name.' "'And what do you call all this?' asked he, as he pointed to the house. "'House or cottage or whatever you please, sir.' "'You must call it High Topper Mountain.' That very night the servant woke her master up in a fright and said, Master of all masters, get out of your barnacle and put on your squibs and crackers. For white-faced simony has got a spark of hot cockalorum on its tail, and unless you get some hondalorum, high top a mountain will be all on hot cockalorum. That's all. End of chapter forty-two. Master of all masters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English fairy tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 43. The Three Heads of the Well. Long before Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, there reigned in the eastern part of England, a king who kept his court at Colchester. In the midst of all his glory his queen died, leaving behind her an only daughter, about fifteen years of age, who for her beauty and kindness was the wonder of all that knew her. But the king, hearing of a lady who had likewise an only daughter, had a mind to marry her for the sake of her riches, though she was old, ugly, hook-nosed, and hump-backed. Her daughter was a yellow dowdy, full of envy and ill-nature, and, in short, "'was much of the same mould as her mother. "'But in a few weeks the king, "'attended by the nobility and gentry, "'brought his deformed bride to the palace, "'where the marriage rites were performed. "'They had not been long in the court "'before they set the king against his own beautiful daughter "'by false reports. "'The young princess, having lost her father's love, "'grew weary of the court, "'and one day, meeting with her father in the garden, "'she begged him with tears in her eyes, to let her go and seek her fortune, to which the king consented and ordered her mother-in-law to give her what she pleased. She went to the queen who gave her a canvas bag of brown bread and hard cheese with a bottle of beer, though this was but a pitiful dowry for a king's daughter. She took it with thanks and proceeded on her journey, passing through groves, woods and valleys, till at length she saw an old man sitting on a stone at the mouth of a cave who said, "'Good morrow, fair maiden. "'Wither away so fast.' "'Aged father,' says she, "'I am going to seek my fortune.' "'What have you got in your bag and bottle?' "'In my bag I have got bread and cheese, "'and in my bottle good small beer. "'Would you like to have some?' "'Yes,' said he, "'with all my heart.' "'With that the lady pulled out her provisions "'and bade him eat and welcome.' He did so, and gave her many thanks, and said, There is a thick thorny hedge before you, which you cannot get through. But take this wand in your hand, strike it three times, and say, Pray, hedge, let me come through, and it will open immediately. Then a little further you will find a well. Sit down on the brink of it, and there will come up three golden heads which will speak, and whatever they require, that do. Promising she would, she took her leave of him. Coming to the hedge and using the old man's wand, it divided and let her through. Then, coming to the well, she had no sooner sat down than a golden head came up singing, "'Wash me and comb me, and lay me down softly, and lay me on a bank to dry, that I may look pretty when somebody passes by.' "'Yes,' said she, and taking it in her lap, combed it with a silver comb, and then placed it upon a primrose bank.' Then up came a second and a third head, saying the same as the former. So she did the same for them, and then, pulling out her provisions, sat down to eat her dinner. Then said the heads one to another, What shall we weird for this damsel who has used us so kindly? The first said, I weird her to be so beautiful that she shall charm the most powerful prince in the world. THE SECOND SAID, I WEARED HER SUCH A SWEET VOICE AS SHALL FAR EXCEED THE NIGHTINGALE. THE THIRD SAID, MY GIFT SHALL BE NONE OF THE LEAST, AS SHE IS A KING'S DAUGHTER. I'LL WEARED HER SO FORTUNATE THAT SHE SHALL BECOME QUEEN TO THE GREATEST PRINCE THAT REIGNS. SHE THEN LET THEM DOWN INTO THE WELL AGAIN, AND SO WENT ON HER JOURNEY. SHE HAD NOT TRAVELED LONG BEFORE SHE SAW A KING HUNTING IN THE PARK WITH HIS NOBLES. SHE WOULD HAVE AVOIDED HIM, BUT THE KING, HAVING CAUGHT A SIGHT OF HER, APPROACHED, AND WHAT WITH HER BEAUTY AND SWEET VOICE, FELL DESPERATELY IN LOVE WITH HER, AND SOON INDUCED HER TO MARRY HIM. THIS KING, FINDING THAT SHE WAS THE KING OF Colchester's DAUGHTER, ORDERED SOME CHARIOTS TO BE GOT READY, THAT HE MIGHT PAY THE KING, HIS FATHER-IN-LAW, A VISIT. THE CHARIOT IN WHICH THE KING AND QUEEN rode WAS ADORNED WITH RICH GEMS OF GOLD. The king, her father, was at first astonished that his daughter had been so fortunate, till the young king let him know of all that had happened. Great was the joy at court amongst all, with the exception of the queen and her club-footed daughter, who were ready to burst with envy. The rejoicings with feasting and dancing continued many days. Then at length they returned home with the dowry her father gave her, the hump-backed princess perceiving that her sister had been so lucky in seeking her fortune, wanted to do the same. So she told her mother, and all preparations were made, and she was furnished with rich dresses and with sugar, almonds and sweetmeats in great quantities, and a large bottle of malaga sack. With these she went the same road as her sister, and coming near the cave the old man said, Young woman wither so fast. What's that to you? said she. "'Then,' said he, "'what have you in your bag and bottle?' "'She answered, "'Good things which you shall not be troubled with.' "'Won't you give me some?' said he. "'No, not a bit nor a drop, "'unless it would choke you.' "'The old man frowned, saying, "'Evil fortune attend ye!' "'Going on, she came to the hedge, "'through which she espied a gap, "'and thought to pass through it. "'But the hedge closed,' and the thorns ran into her flesh, so that it was with great difficulty that she got through. Being now all over blood, she searched for water to wash herself, and looking round she saw the well. She sat down on the brink of it, and one of the heads came up saying, Wash me, comb me, and lay me down softly, as before. But she banged it with her bottle saying, Take that for your washing! So the second and third heads came up, and met with no better treatment than the first. Whereupon the heads consulted among themselves what evils to plague her with for such usage. The first said, Let her be struck with leprosy in her face. The second, Let her voice be as harsh as a corncrake's. The third said, Let her have for husband but a poor country cobbler. Well, she goes on till she came to a town, and it being market-day the people looked at her, and seeing such a mangy face and hearing such a squeaky voice, all fled but a poor country cobbler. Now he not long before had mended the shoes of an old hermit, who having no money gave him a box of ointment for the cure of leprosy, and a bottle of spirits for a harsh voice. So the cobbler, having a mind to do an act of charity, was induced to go up to her and ask her who she was. "'I am,' said she, "'the king of Colchester's daughter-in-law.' "'Well,' said the cobbler, "'if I restore you to your natural complexion "'and make a sound cure both in face and voice, "'will you in reward take me for a husband?' "'Yes, friend,' she replied, "'with all my heart.' "'With this the cobbler applied the remedies, "'and they made her well in a few weeks, "'after which they were married.' and so set forward for the court at Colchester. When the queen found that her daughter had married nothing but a poor cobbler, she hanged herself in wrath. The death of the queen so pleased the king, who was glad to get rid of her so soon, that he gave the cobbler a hundred pounds to quit the court with his lady and take to a remote part of the kingdom, where he lived many years mending shoes, his wife spinning the thread for him. End of chapter 43 THE THREE HEADS OF THE WELL END OF ENGLISH FAIRY TALES